This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by my co-host, Alex. What is up? After what has been a pretty exciting week in Everton land, we will be today discussing the general meeting that took place yesterday, two days ago. Um, A few talking points that came from that. We'll be talking about some players that are returning from injury. And then, of course, we'll move into the preview of this weekend's match against West Ham. Um, Alex and I, before recording, were just ironing out further details of our impending trip over to Merseyside, which we could not be more excited for and that I announced last episode, but I did want to give Alex a quick chance to to speak on that and tell us about how excited he is as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it, everyone everyone probably feels the same way. It's kind of like a dream to go over and, and see Goodison Park and experience the atmosphere that everyone talks about and experience the togetherness, I think, of all the Evertonians. And then naturally, to see the players in real life playing, ideally uh, in in good form. So it's super exciting. I mean, I you were you were pressing to make sure it happened, and I'm ready to go. I'm really excited. I, I think it still doesn't necessarily feel real yet until maybe like the week of. But I'm super excited. We would love to take any suggestions on things to do in Liverpool and or London. So please hit us up wherever and, and suggest anything that we should see or do or eat or drink or whatever. Yeah, the scheme is starting to come together. We booked our plane tickets first, and now we're sort of ironing out the actual day-to-day itinerary. We're hoping, of course, to bring you guys some really good content while we're over there. But as for the content of the day, let's talk general meeting stuff, Alex. So a lot of anticipation coming into this meeting. There were reports showing that Everton would likely declare record losses. So there's concerns about the financial sustainability of the club. Um, and people, I think, were really anxious to hear Marcel Brand speak on the progress of the squad. And he did a lot of those things. He spoke to a lot of points that I think people had concerns about. But I think the biggest news to come out of the general meeting was the announcement of the $30 million option purchased by Alisher Usmanov's USM-owned company. Uh, purchased this $30 million option, which essentially gives them the right to be the first ones to be able to bid on the future stadium to be built at Brimley Moor Dock. Um, it seems like maybe a bit unnecessary, but we know that Usmanov has been looking for ways to get involved with the club. He said as much in a recent Financial Times interview. And so this seems to be the first stages of that kind of investment and interest materializing. Yeah, I mean, I, it's an interesting way to go about it, right? So the yeah. the whole point, right? So so to put it in context, the whole reason why losses are bad in this instance, other than the fact that, you know, they're losses, um, it, it all spans around financial fair play or often um, referred to as FFP. And the issue with financial fair play is it essentially says that you can't expend a certain amount of money as losses to try to catch up, right? It, it, it sets a cap. I don't know how much the cap is. Um, luckily enough, Chelsea and Man City, when they were purchased by their billionaire owners back in the day, I say that as if it's forever ago. <laughs> Ancient history. But back, 
back in the day, FFP was not applicable. And so they were able to catch up and, and push them, their clubs up to the top very quickly. Well, in Everton's case, um, Moshiri has been pumping money into, into the club, into the squad. Um, others have kind of, you know, spoiled, obviously most of the money he's pumped in thus far. However, there's an issue and that is you can't just keep, keep spending money and, and go to these ridiculous loss numbers without recourse. And that, that's the type, the, the type of recourse, if you're wondering, would be something probably along the lines of what Chelsea had, um, this last, uh, summer, which was a transfer ban of some sort. So with that being said, right, we've spent a lot of money. We are still spending a lot of money, right, on a lot of wages for players that we don't necessarily need or use and have tried to be loaning out or moving on, et cetera. But you can offset losses by more revenue. That's the whole idea of net profit and loss. And Usmanov seems to understand that very well. Uh, so, as you said, I'm not sure that this is, uh, I'm not sure that this is necessary. I've never heard of that type of money being thrown around for this sort of thing. But you got to imagine, you know, just how much the TV rights are worth for all of these Premier League clubs that maybe the the naming rights to the stadium, that's going to be announced literally once a week forever on, on TV. It might be it might be worth something. But I think it's it's helpful for our financial fair play um, guidelines and, and to kind of fit inside the box. And it's a very it's, it's a positive because it, it comes in the new year. So when we're talking about this at the AGM at the beginning of 2021, um, you know, that lightens the load. And I think it allows us to spend more uh, specifically in the summer. Yeah, as you said, a ton of investment coming into the club namely in the form of obviously transfer fees and wages for players. But they also announced at the AGM that there's been a multi-million dollar uh, expansion of Finch Farm in the last year. There's money going elsewhere. Obviously, Everton in the community um, is, does a lot of important work. But yeah, the important thing to know here is just the the commitment to sustainability that is shown by the board, but also ne- necessary because of the financial fair play cons- constrictions. And so I think this is a, a useful financial uh, tool and perhaps arguably some kind of loophole maybe uh, in order for Uzmanov to get some funds into the club immediately. And that will give us a little bit more flexibility considering the the losses overall. Um, speaking of money that hasn't been particularly well spent, the next talking point from the AGM is that Cenk Tosin has been loaned out and Marcel Brand specifically commented uh, during his presentation that it was due to his ridiculously high wages, Cenk Tosin, of course, was a Steve Walsh slash Sam Allardyce signing coming in in uh, January transfer window when we were just desperate for survival at that point and for a player who could bag us some goals. All the best to Cenk, but I think this is the, a good move for both us and Crystal Palace, who he was, of course, loaned to. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I think it's a great move. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was... Very, very close to happening over the summer. Um, I'm not sure exactly why it didn't, but I do know that it was very, very highly rumored. And uh, so it makes sense that it's happening this window. I think that it's really positive for him. I mean, I don't think any Everton fans have anything against Cenk. Every All of us pretty much like him for the most part, um, other than some that don't like him for his political views. But uh, <laughs> sure, nonetheless... Right. But nonetheless, um, I mean, it's good. It's good for him. He's going to go get playing time. I think... You know, I think that Crystal Palace could be a, a decent move for him, and 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 hopefully he can establish himself in like the Crystal Palace team or something, or showcase his his skills and maybe uh, stay on permanently in the league itself in one of the lower lower uh, table clubs. But 
for Everton, his future is not his future is not going to be at Everton, and and so it's positive for us. It's positive for him, and I think everyone's going to be happy with it. And hopefully, uh, Crystal Palace fans are as well. Yeah, he actually featured at the weekend this past weekend for Crystal Palace. I didn't uh, catch how his performance went, but it was clear that he was never going to get the playing time that he was would want at Everton. When he came in, he did a job for us in that second half of that season, but then his flaws started to come out and be more and more clear that he wasn't a good fit for the style of play that we wanted to uh, have in the squad. And so I think this is a good fit for him. Again, you couldn't ask for a classier player. Reminds me a bit of like a Davy Klassen type, not that he was quite as uh, much of a flop as Davy Klassen, but similar where they always spoke very highly and respectfully of the club, always seemed to you know give 100% when they're on the pitch. And I, I, there's no real ill will towards him. I, I wish him all the best in his career. It's just, it just, he clearly wasn't up to the standard of player that Marcel Brands is looking to bring in. And I think getting him out and getting his wages off the books will enable perhaps us to be a bit more flexible in the January window. So that's another pro. Right. So another talking point that came from the general meeting was this fellow named Tom Cannon. I guess he's a shareholder of some sort. I've never heard of him before. And I think he's a professor of some sort as well. Yeah, he's he's. A, I looked it up before. He's a professor, professor of strategic management uh, in okay. Liverpool. Well, it seems like he does his title in injustice because he spoke <laughs> out against Marcel Brands. Uh, and, his position on the board. Um, but pretty soon after Marcel Brands was reelected nearly unanimously, obviously other than Tom Cannon and maybe a friend that he paid 20 bucks to, but, uh, either way, I think that's kind of foolish. I think he gave everyone kind of a laugh. Although you did see some Everton fans on Twitter, per usual that, that would try to justify the fact that Brands maybe hasn't done enough yet. Yeah. I think there's kind of two issues at play here. And I think from reading the the comments that I saw from Tom Cannon, he specifically said that he doesn't object in any way to Marcel Brands being director of football. His objection is purely on the basis that he doesn't feel that he should be appointed to the board. And while I can sort of see that in the sense where if things start to go horribly awry for some reason, if Marcel Brands suddenly starts just signing terrible transfers and they it becomes much more complicated to get him out. That said, I don't think I think the vast, vast majority, 95 plus percent of Evertonians can see the tangible difference between his his time as director of football versus Steve Walsh, who, of course, uh, held the position before him. There's a cohesive strategy. There's players coming in that, you know, are of the right profile where we're not signing three number tens in the same summer. And for me, I just think if you give even in the limited time that he's had with very few windows, the overbloated squad and ridiculous, you know, financial constraints to work within, he's done an incredibly admirable job. And I think having him on the board gives him that extra bit of a incentive where I don't think, you know, any, any person doing their job wants to do a good job, but it shows that the board are committed to him and that he is committed to the future of the club and knowing that we have that security with him and that he couldn't theoretically very easily come be poached by another club, say like a Manchester United, who of course are looking for a director of football or someone in a similar position. So I think there's a lot of advantages to it. And the cons only really come out of the woodwork when uh, something goes horribly wrong with the tenure of Marcel Brands, which based on all the evidence we have so far, I can't see happening. So I think, again, he was that you almost unanimously elected. So I think that kind of speaks for itself. Absolutely agree. So we've talked about 
a lot of money topics. We've covered Jenk Tosin going out on loan, but we have had one single player come in in the January transfer window. Today's the 15th, so it's actually about exactly halfway over. And is his name Mbapp? is... You said, you said what? <laughs> is it Mbapp? Mbapp? Mbappe? Mbappe? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Uh, no, it's Jared Branthwaite. <laughs> Never okay. heard of the guy. I don't know. Oh, yeah. that. I mean, underwhelming as it may seem. Uh, I'm just kidding. So he's he's apparently a pretty talented center, center back from Carlisle United, which is in League Two. If you're not aware, that's the fourth division. If you don't play FIFA, that's the fourth division <laughs> in English football. Um, nonetheless, from what I understand, I, I, I cannot tell you that I've watched any uh, film on the guy, but I understand via our friends on Twitter that he seems to be a pretty good, raw, but talented young man, and he, he will go straight into the uh, U23 setup. Yeah, it's not exactly a blockbuster signing, but it's one where, considering the fact that we are still under a youth transfer ban for, I think, another at least six months, if not longer, um, he's a, I believe he's 17, but will soon be 18. So I think the assumption is that he'll be signed to a pro contract, which sort of serves as a workaround to that ban. And at 19, 18, 19 years old, 17, like that age, there's still so much development that needs to be done from what I've read and what I've seen in very limited footage of like YouTube. Um, he seems like he has a lot of really good physical attributes and maybe the technical side is where he needs to focus on developing, which you could say for the vast majority of players of that age. But if Marcel Brands believes in him, then I believe in him. I just wonder about, are we really going to moving forward, build a more consistent pathway for our youth players to move into the first team setup? Firstly, I don't think it's the best that he's moving from a first team of a league side to our U23s. No disrespect intended to that league, but I think if you're playing league football, it makes sense for you to um, continue to get first team minutes and gain that experience, which I just think is invaluable for the development of a player. Again, nothing against David Unsworth and the U23s, but we've shown over the last four or five years or longer that we really struggle with bringing players up from the youth setup into the first team. You can name one or two examples. Um, another point was made during the AGM was that Anthony Gordon is really, really close to challenging for first team minutes. So that's exciting. But I just hope that we're bringing this player in and there's a clear strategy or plan in place that if everything goes right, he does have a position in the first team in what would probably be, you know, two, three, four years maybe. Um, and we're not just signing players uh, for the purposes of, you know, developing them and then letting them go. If we, even if we develop him and sell him for a profit, that's still, that's still a win. So there's a lot of wins, potential wins in this scenario. Um, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see on this one. So I actually saw on Twitter, this might've been a good while ago, but you kind of jog my memory in speaking in terms of the youth Academy, right. And the fact that, you know, I, you and I have been complaining about it for a while, but our, our youth players haven't been going out on loan at all. Right. Like we had the same group for like two or three years, it felt like, and basically none of them moved moved on, nor did they, you know, get a loan deal or anything like that. But I think it came out, uh, I, even in the summertime or right after the summer transfer window, that the biggest issue was the fact that we had the loan, the the the, the way that the wage structure was built, even even at the youth academy level, was too inflated to be able to get rid of the youth players. They literally could not send these players out on loan because anywhere that would take them could not afford their wages. So, and, and I'm pretty sure that came from Marcel Brands, not that 
verbatim. So, you know, that also takes a lot of time. We have been seeing our youth players, you know, as recent as this last summer transfer window, actually gaining loan moves. Obviously, John Joe Kenny is an, I mean, he's a first team player from the youth academy. He's an easier one because he's a quality player. But nonetheless, uh, I'm, I'm hoping, as you said, right, this, this is a, this almost feels like a new beginning for the youth academy with our first player signed after it feels like we kind of had to have a clear vision as to, uh, what we need to continue to improve and, and getting rid of quite a few players over the summer from the youth academy setup, whether loan or. Absolutely. In brands we trust, Marcel had a dream, all that good stuff. I think as he's given more time and once the youth transfer ban is lifted, we'll definitely start to see some some more prolific younger talents start to move into the doors at Finch Farm and start to get developed into hopefully future first teamers. With that said, we do have some other first teamers returning to training. And this is very exciting news. Three big players for us, I think, all have a, a crucial role to play um, in whatever capacity they can participate in the remainder of the season. Those three players are Jean-Philippe Gabamin, Alex Awobi, and lastly, Andre Gomez returning to Finch Farm much earlier than expected. A remarkable story given the horror injury that he suffered at the hands of Hyung Sun, Hyung Sun Min. And I'm very excited to hear this news because as we know, our midfield depth has been uh, lackluster at the very best for the last couple months. So to see these three players all return to training, mind you, not first team training there. Andre will probably start training individually. I'm not sure as to what Alex Awobi's fitness levels are at right now, but JPG, another one who we got glimpses of very early on in the first couple games, and we haven't seen much of him since, but I think it's clear from the limited sample size that he can certainly provide something different in our midfield than a lot of our other current options. Yes, it's super exciting. Obviously, Alex Awobi is the one that'll be back in the next couple weeks. Um, you know, really, though, literally the last official timeline that we heard about JPG was January, if I'm not mistaken. We have not heard anything else since then, and that was sometime in the fall from Marco Silva himself. So we might see him start working into uh, training with the entire squad pretty soon. So, you know, we might, we really could see him next month, as soon as next month, maybe in a starting capacity. It'll be interesting because, again, you know, while he's been out injured, he was definitely way behind tempo. Um, when he was made, when he was thrown in the deep end in the beginning of the season. Yeah. Now we also do realize that he's had the entire season to, you know, study, right? Because he's still around everyone. I'm sure he still is getting information about how they're playing or how they're setting up. And so that's good because mentally he, at least he can prepare somewhat, um, and kind of have that little step or extra, extra couple steps before he sets steps foot on the training pitch. But it's exciting. Alex Iwobi, I think, is going to be really exciting when he comes back. I'm, I'm interested to see how he's used by Carlo Ancelotti. And, and, you know, all of these returns, not Andre. I'm not going to talk about Andre because, I mean, you know, it's possible he could return by the end of the season, but I, I doubt it. it's in any major capacity. But but JPG and, and, and Iwobi coming back into training and then more specifically in the first team is going to make it very interesting to see how Carlo sets up because, you know, we've talked about it, this 3-4-3 in, in possession that we've been imploring definitely is there because it plays to our strengths, specifically the fact that we have essentially no healthy midfield. So, you know, and Iwobi we've seen has has performed far best at the 10 than he has at left or right midfield. So it'll be interesting to see how Carlo Ancelotti utilizes him as well. Yeah. 
It will definitely be very interesting. I believe also at the AGM, not to go back to it too much, but I believe Marcel Brands confirmed that under Carlo Ancelotti, we are kind of making an official shift to a 4-4-2 formation. I'm not sure how long that will last or if I, I know that that's a formation that he's used previously to great effect with the uh, fullback sort of bombing on and, and using that more fluid formation. But it does pose an interesting question where you've got JPG who is you know, predominantly a defense, a deep lying defending defense oriented midfielder. And then you've got Alex Awobi who, when he's not playing on the wing has publicly spoken and said that he operates best at a 10. And so neither of them really ha- seem to have like a clearly cut role in a four, four, two formation where you need a bit more balance between your midfielders. So I- I'm very interesting to see, interested to see how that develops, but regardless, I think they both have an important role to play in whatever, you know, job they're told to do by Carlo. And I'm sure they're both, we know that they're both talented players and can, can certainly contribute to the team. Um, moving on now to the West Ham preview. We head to the London stadium on Saturday to face West Ham. West Ham are currently 16th in the table. They are one point above the relegation zone. So really kind of all hands on deck Losers. for them. They're, <laughs> They're 13th in the form table right now. They've lost four of their last six and won the other two. And then, of course, if you've been living under a rock, a few weeks ago, West Ham made the move to fire Manuel Pellegrini, relieve him of his duties, and bring in none other than David Moyes. Returning to West Ham when he could have very easily returned to Everton. I think this is interesting because I think I think you're lying to yourself if you're an Everton fan and you don't look at West Ham and say... I mean, that could have very easily been us, both in league position and uh, with the current coaching situation, because in the summer, we were sort of all very impressed, or at least I was, with namely West Ham signing of Sebastian Allaire, who's actually done a really nice job for them. They made a couple of other useful signings, and they were looking to build on a relatively decent season last year, and it just hasn't gone to plan for them at all. Right. I'm going to be completely honest. With West Ham's summer and then our poor start to the season, I legitimately was afraid that this could be the point in which they kind of start to to pass us in the uh, everlasting table table of the best of the rest, or part of the table yeah. that is the best of the rest. Um, you know, like you said, Allaire is a is a really good center forward. I personally was very hurt that we missed out on him, but they also signed someone a very young positive playmaker in Pablo Fornals, who mm. is definitely going to, you know, be involved unless he's injured or something to that effect, or they switch formation or something. But he's usually involved, along with even um a player like Anderson who contributes, he's actually their highest assister, top assister, whereas Haller is their top scorer. So you can expect all of these super dangerous attacking players, but the funny thing is, both clubs, Everton and West Ham, have only scored 25 goals in the league this season in about 21 or 22 appearances. So neither one of us are doing fantastic. I mean, to put that in perspective, I think we have Richarlison and Dom on eight goals apiece, whereas yeah. Allaire has six goals and he's the top scorer. The next is three. So it's safe to say that, you know, if you can kind of shut down Allaire, you have a pretty good chance. But furthermore, you know, if we look back into midfield, West Ham have a player in Declan Rice. Uh, I think in mine and your opinion, James, he is some butt. He's way overhyped. He's not some butt, but he's way overhyped in my Come opinion. On. Um, he is. Now, 
let's not mistake the fact that he does dictate play for this for this team. I mean, he has by far the most passes, the most tackles, the most interceptions. I mean, this is the guy that makes the team tick from deep specifically. So in my mind, this is where our high press is going to be very important, specifically with our two strikers and uh, depending on who are who are uh, presumably two midfielders are, which one, whichever one's going to press the highest, that's going to be super important. Yeah, agreed. I do disagree on your assessment of Declan Rice. I think he's a young player, similar to you know Tom Davis, who gets obviously a lot of stick off our fans. But he, I think, being as young as he is and already playing at as high a level as he is, I think Declan Rice will develop into a, a really good player. Maybe not. Maybe he has been a bit overhyped in the sense where people are saying he's like a lock for the England midfield for the next decade, if people are saying that. But I think as an overall player, he's really good. But he was not good when the, uh, West Ham and Everton met at Goodison Park earlier this season. He was absolutely run ragged by our midfield, didn't know where he was or what he was supposed to be doing. And I hope to see that continue on Sunday. But West Ham do have a pretty extensive injury list right now. Andre Yarmolenko, of course, previously linked with Everton, is out. They've got Jack Wilshire out as well. He's basically never healthy, so that's not too much of a surprise. But also, Felipe Anderson and Mikel Antonio are both doubts. And those are two of West Ham's most effective attacking players. Antonio is really pacey, really strong, and can create things by himself. I watched a game earlier this year where he was just bullying the opposition, I can't remember exactly which game it was. And Felipe Anderson, obviously a very dynamic wide player who can create a lot of opportunity. And as Alex said, he's their leading assister. So to have it's he's doubtful, so he may in fact play. But to have those concerns for West Ham, it, it doesn't look too, too favorable for them at the moment going into this game. Absolutely. I take us as favorites and, and we'll we'll round it out towards the end uh, with our score predictions to see if you agree. But I think that we are, it's a favorable matchup for us, even though we're away from home, but that is the scary part, right? We are away from home. Our confidence is still not there, and that's no surprise to anyone. It's not a secret neither. So we are going to have to go away from home. West Ham still have plenty of quality in the side, even with their injury issues, um, you know, as do we with our injury issues. So let's talk about the setup. Do we think, uh, I assume pretty quickly, do we think we'll set up in the same kind of Three four three slash four four two that we have been since Ancelotti's arrival. Yes. Okay. So moving from that, what kind of changes do you see could be made from the lineup last weekend? I don't really think you change what was working fairly effectively for most of the first half, and I think uh, of last match. Obviously, I think he, the only concern that he may have is that the level of performance can't be sustained for 90 minutes. But I think from what he saw, what Ancelotti saw and SS fans saw in the first half of, of last week's game will be encouragement enough to basically keep the same side. I mean, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin are stone cold locks for the top two positions. And then in midfield, um, I think you stick with Tom Davis and Gilfie Sigurdsson. You can make arguments for other players. Bernard, another stone-cold lock. No way he's not starting after his influential performance. Luca Dean, again, another player who seemed to have, you know, been rejuvenated with Bernard in front of him. He was very effective last week as well. I think the, the only area of contention may be the center back role because Michael Keane, though, I guess to me, the eye test, I thought he had a good game and, and that's been vindicated with some of the stats, but others thought that he was average at best. And Carlo Ancelotti this week came out with a comment saying that he you know, has confidence in all three of 
his center backs that he has fit right now and that there's going to be some squad rotation. So do you bench either Keen or Holgate um, to bring Yerry Mina back into the side? That is kind of the biggest question for me. Obviously, Pickford's going to play. I think Seamus Coleman and Jabril Sidibe will both play as well. But Alex, do you foresee any kind of dramatic changes or even minor ones from Ancelotti? I do think based on what he said earlier in the week uh, that Holgate will probably rotate out for Mina. I think I'm almost positive, 99% sure on who scored, that Michael Keane got man of the match. I mean, statistically, he was a monster. As you said, the eye test, I mean, he had a pretty good match. But I think that Michael Keane comes in off the bench after a couple of weeks or after a couple of matches and puts in a performance like that is definitely commendable. Mason Holgate, though, has been the only center back that's been in for the longest period of time. So I think that he's probably due a rest. And you never know. I mean, Michael Keane, Yerry Mina, while not the fastest pairing of all time, I mean, I think it still has the propensity to be a good pairing and, and they're dealing with Sebastian Allaire. So maybe the physicality that both of them bring would be important. We definitely probably want Mina, uh, his six foot five self in the box to defend this uh, very talented center forward. And, and, you know, I, just to touch on the three center backs, this is, this is a really, uh, this is a huge positive for us. We're talking about three center backs, right? Everyone came to the season thinking that we were, we were screwed because we didn't sign a fourth first team center back. And, and apparently Lewis Gibson just wasn't going to make the cut, although we thought he had a decent preseason. But now Mason Holgate starts coming into the mix and all of a sudden all three of them are playing extremely well. Like I can't point to one really poor performance over the last three or four weeks from any of them. You know, there might've been a mediocre one here or there, but they're all performing really well. So, so it's really, it's, it's capped off by Michael Keane coming in over the weekend and putting in such a shift. So I think he deserves deserves to keep his place. But the only, really, the only thing I disagreed with from what you said was I think that you've got to start Delf over mm, one I was of say that. Davies or Sigurdsson because yeah. um, A, he's not nearly as bad as everyone's saying he is. I don't know what their problem is, but he's a really good player and he should be starting right now. Two, um, I don't like the idea of Sigurdsson Davies in the midfield again. Uh, and Sigurdsson has not done nearly enough this season to warrant being able to keep a place, whereas Tom Davies has shown a handful of matches that have been very positive. And for that, I did cherry pick a statistic for this Ooh, episode to argue for my more. man, number 26, Tommy Davies. And that is no midfielder in the league plays a higher percentage of their passes forward than Tom Davies. That is 39%. Uh, that was thanks to our friends at Market Insights on Twitter. But 39% of his passes are forward, right? And mind you, he's not been playing in an advanced role. Most of these matches have been in that midfield two pairing in which he's obviously a, a box-to-box in that case, but it's not necessarily mostly an attacking role. Yeah, it's a really good point. He does, he does in fact, play the most, the highest percentage of his passes forward. And I think that actually strength, strengthens the argument for maybe benching Gilfie Sigurdsson and bringing in Fabian Delph. As soon as I said we should keep those two, I, Delph immediately jumped to mind. A, because we're away from home, so we may need a bit more uh, grit in midfield as far as defensive capabilities go. And B, because I think Delph alongside Davies will allow Tom Davies that extra freedom to get forward, to play the ball forward, and be a bit more uh, creative and take a few more risks than he might with Gilfie Sigurdsson alongside him. I do think we maybe lose some creativity going forward without Sigurdsson as maligned as he may be at the moment. But I think that those Davis and Delph kind of complement each other very well. And I think if they 
get some consistent playing time together could be a pretty useful uh, pairing for us in that central midfield position. Right. And and the only other caveat to that and, and the idea behind not sticking with, with Sigurdsson Davies is the fact that while we do, generally speaking, we're trying to aim to hold the majority of the possession in matches, and we've been doing that okay in some instances, um, West Ham usually are going they're going to try to do the same thing. And so being away from home in London, we're not guaranteed to have possession. And so I think it's going to be important to have someone in there like Delph that can break up the play and has that just like bulldog mentality on defense. So that's, that's, I think that's my main point in, in calling for Delph, other than just the straight up energy, the leadership, et cetera, et cetera. To wrap it up then, let's hear your score prediction. Are you going to be, are you going to be positive this time around? Think we are favorites? Just when I think I'm out, they pull me right back in. I don't want to predict a win because things have been going quite well, actually, since I decided to be a consistent Debbie Downer and predict only draws and losses. But I have no choice right now based on both teams' current form, based on the injuries that West Ham have. They do have some, still have some quality players in the side, as you mentioned, but their injury list is even longer than ours at the moment. And I think with the the creativity and the ability that we showed in the first half last match. I think this is one that we should be taking three points from. So dare I say it, Alex, this is going to come back to haunt me on Saturday, but I'm going with a two nil Everton win. Same as the reverse fixture at Goodison Park. There it is. I like it. I like it. I, uh, I think we will also win, but I don't know that we're going to get out of there with a clean sheet. Like we discussed. I mean, that may sound kind of contradictive. It's not like they have like crazy firepower. However, I'm still going to be interested to see how the defense handles Allaire. Um, Anderson has a ton of pace. And so specifically on the left-hand side, I mean, I know you said he's a doubt, but on our right-hand side defending, um, his left-hand side attacking, we're most likely going to have someone in the form of Sidibe. And his positioning is not always the best. So I think, you know, when you're defending a player with the pace like that, you have to be spot on in your positioning and really smart with how you play. And so that might also be a weak point for us if he does indeed play. Um, so I'm going to go for a 2-1 win Everton. Not sure we get out of there unscathed, but three points nonetheless. Yeah, one last point just on Jibril Sidibe. And you're right in that his positioning is generally pretty darn terrible uh, in a lot of situations. But I will say he is arguably an elite one-on-one -on -one defender from what I've seen. I mean, I saw a chart a few weeks ago that said he like won the highest percentage of his tackles and also attempted like nearly the most. And so he's shown that he can be really, really capable in one-on-one -on -one positions. It's just a question of, is he going to be within 15 yards of the man he's supposed to be marking at any given moment? Because that is very much up in the air, I think, a lot of the time with, with Jabril. That said, I think that's going to do it for us, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as we said at the beginning, if you have suggestions for things we need to do, places to go, people to see while we're abroad, definitely hit us up with that. Otherwise, we'll be with you guys on Saturday following what is hopefully an Everton win. Until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.